Good to be gathered with you again today, this Sunday. I'm excited. You can probably tell by my mannerisms and my vocal tone that we're looking at a new chapter, new book in the Bible that's um, been alluded to in our conversations with the minor prophets and now is being um, lifted up for us in our reading. And, and excited also, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks, for a, a new way to do what we're doing here uh, in Bible study. And, and I'm going to share that in a minute. But I'm going to first open in prayer and then get us into this conversation. So, Father, for the gift of this time together, for the gift of your word that we celebrate, but more we need as very food for our lives and spirit, grace us with the gift of your Holy Spirit that brings forth its understanding and molds us, we pray into the image of Christ more and more so that we may bring glory to your name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been alluding to it and not getting around to it. I shared a little bit last time, uh, thought about, reflected. We're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to do it in a new way. And part of my excitement about this, looking at this book, Nehemiah, is that for the month of June, uh, we are going to take sections of it within worship, the preaching. And then, of course, the, the remainder of the worship service will be focused around that. So much like we've done with our small group studies in the past and much like we did this uh, spring early on with our home groups, where our preaching and our Bible study will go hand in hand and knit together. But I'm more excited not just by that connection, by the fact that each one of the sections, if you will, uh, of the book of Nehemiah first is going to be preached in the first part by Sam Weddington, the senior pastor. Uh, the next section will be, be preached by uh, Justin Miller, who is our uh, pastoral resident as he's moving towards his ordination and new on the staff of First Spreads. And then the third section or third Sunday service preaching will be offered by Jerry Swamsidi, who is also new on staff. And he's the director of our uh, worship for the contemporary service at 9 o'clock. And then I'll be concluding our look at Nehemiah on the last Sunday in July. <clears throat> but what my excitement is that uh, Jerry Swamsidi, Justin, and I, for now the month of, of June, are going to take 15, 20 minutes a week and not discuss what we're getting ready to preach on, but to have kind of a conversational study over the book of Nehemiah, taking a couple chapters each week. And so this week... Uh, as we prepare for that, I wanted to kind of set some of the background, set some of the history, looking at why we're looking at it and do it in a way that would provide some foundation or groundwork for us as then we get in and, and see where God leads us in this conversational Bible study that we will do and invite you in with us in this video. So that as we look at Nehemiah, as I've kind of already alluded to, and our minor prophets have come, were being written after the events of, of Nehemiah. Now, when I say Nehemiah, we have to recognize that in the Hebrew canon, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the book Esther are all put together. And, and it, it was not until later with the, the Latin Vulgate that, that they got split out. But if you will notice in your, in your Bible, in your canon, it's part of and considered part of the historical works. It comes after First and Second Kings First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and this big swath of history 
of the Jewish people. And, it, and of course, I've already spoken to about in the Minor Prophets that Nehemiah specifically, but Ezra and Nehemiah taken together as a unit or happens before the Minor Prophets and it's the coming of, of God's people back into the promised Jer Jerusalem, promised land, and the reality that the temple has been destroyed. I'm going to touch more about that. And Jerusalem is crumpled and the very locus of who they are as a people as they have been carted off into exile, and again, I'm going to talk a little bit about this historically here at Setting Our Foundation, is taking place in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, the book of Esther is historical, but it's not talking about the same um, event of the rebuilding of the temple and rebuilding of Jerusalem. And we may look at Esther at another point. We're not going to look at either Ezra or Esther here. But at the, um, uh, the, the minor prophets where many of them, as we talked about, were referring to this event of either the exile, as why they're writing, or the restoration of the rebuilding of, of Jerusalem and the temple as the focus of what they were talking about. So it's, it's beneficial for me that we now look at this historical work, Nehemiah, in reference to what we've already talked about, but to treat it of its own and on its own, as we're going to be doing within our worship series now in the month of June, which I'm very excited about that are, are Sam Weddington's vision for the reality that much like the people of God who experiences this cataclysmic change, we've been through a cataclysmic change with COVID and what it's done to our communities and our lives and our worship experience. And as we rebuild, which is the themes of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, the wall. So, um, so I want to put at the very beginning of foundationally for us an understanding of this work, Nehemiah, is the theme of restoration. God restoring the people and restoring, rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem as the focus of who they are. Um, so the, the main point for us to remember is that this book continues the historical narrative of who God's people are following their exile. And so it's written, uh, collected sometime around 538 to 418 B.C. And specifically, Nehemiah is an interesting cat because he um, is a political character. He is a governor or becomes the governor of Judah, serves, we think, uh, we have here represented two different terms but he is serving in the political world in Babylon as well um, as the cupbearer, the, the person who tastes the wine before the king to make sure it hasn't been poisoned. And, and we will see as we look in Nehemiah later on this month, has a significant relationship with the king as he is functioning in his duties as the cupbearer. But in part of that, uh, the historical... He has asked for permission to come back and rebuild the walls. And not only has he been given permission, but we're going to see also he has given letters of credit for the bottom line to, to get timbers and rock. And he's even given at one point, uh, at least as he goes there, a contingency of guards. Um, but he's a political guy. Unlike Ezra, which is the priest who comes back um, and, and begins the work of the, the temple. And then it's about 12 to 15 years later before Nehemiah comes in and really makes things happen. He is administratively gifted. And I'm going to talk about this as well. Um, but we're going to see, kind of 
kind of foundationally how Nehemiah goes about doing this administrative work that is then collected for us in our understanding in the book of Nehemiah. And, and so for me, it functions in, in a phenomenal way that we're going to be exploring in worship, the idea of leadership and leadership after the exile. Because if Ezra was the great religious reformer, and, and within Jewish context, uh, he's known as the greatest religious reformer after Moses. Um, and oftentimes is also referred to as the father of Judaism. That's the priest. That's the theological work. That's Ezra. Um, he brought the law from Babylon. And it's not like we would have had these, you know, a book like this. He's bringing the scrolls with him and kept them safe and is bringing and brought them back into what was left of the temple. And was responsible then, Ezra, the priest, is responsible for the canonization of the, of the books, probably, we think, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Torah, the law, which defines who God's people are and, and becomes um, an opportunity of reformation for the, the people coming back into exile for reforming their lives around the law. And, and we had this sense, that especially before, immediately before and during exile, where the, the law, the, the Torah is ancillary to who they are. Afterwards of this period, it becomes the focus and primary. Well, if that's Ezra, we look at Nehemiah, whom we're going to be looking at, and he's often thought of as kind of the new Solomon. And that is because of his administrative and building capabilities. He gets the wall completed. He gets the temple completed. Um, and, and it's by his skills as a politician as well as an administrator to make all that happen. Also interestingly to me is that what we have in the, the book of Nehemiah, most commentators believe is his personal journals. A 20 years of recording what he was doing and why he was doing and gives us invitation into the insight of his relationship with God that is then worked out in his calling to go and rebuild. And, and, and uh, as a historical narrative, we get a very personalized journaling, if you will, look into that. So again, my intent is to set the foundation. And for me, whenever I want to set the foundation, I have to talk and think about for us the historical relevance and connection. So um, uh, reminding you way back that the book of Kings tells the story, the long story of Israel and Judah, the two nations that become one or the one nation actually become two uh, as in their decline and in their separation and the falling that, that comes out after David and through his son uh, Solomon and then his son Jeroboam. And, and it Israel's separate existence ended in 722 BC when the northern kingdom falls to the kingdom of Assyria and is absorbed into their empire. And I've spoken about that before and I don't really want to go into it, but 2 Kings records that. And for about 150 years after the northern kingdom, which is uh, Israel by name or Samaria as known in the New Testament, about 150 years, this small little southern kingdom 
with only two of the tribes. Remember, ten tribes were in the northern kingdom. The two tribes of Benjamin and Judah survive in the southern kingdom, and that's why they're known as Judah. With uh, uh, the lines of David and their king, with Jerusalem as the center of that, and more importantly, the temple is in Jerusalem, and for 150 years remains after the nation has fallen apart. But after the 150 years, Judah suffers pretty much the same fate that the northern kingdom did, but not by Assyria, but by a separate country called Syria. And it often gets confusing between those, because in our ears they sound exactly the same. But Syria destroys the nation of Judah. And, and were then also the uh, leaders of that nation, the intellectuals of the southern kingdom of Judah, those who had been educated and those who had money, were removed and taken to Babylon. And that's the, the, the narratives we have in Daniel um, it, uh, is part of that, as well as the narrative that is in Esther that describes what that life was like. But it, it's different than what took place in the northern kingdom when whole swaths of people were simply picked up and moved and other people were brought in, which led to the bastardization, if you will, of the people of God that we see in the New Testament in the understanding of who Samaria is. But I'm not going to go into that. I do want to continue with this kind of quick historical overview of, of what has happened. So that the leaders in the ruling class of Judah are taken and in exile in Babylon. And um, the temple that was who they were, the focal point of not only their faith, their religion, but also the unifying focal point of who they are as a people, is raised to the ground by the Syrians. And all the valuables are removed from the temple and taken into Babylon. And reminding that uh, Ezra keeps the scrolls safe and takes them to Babylon and then brings them back. And then also important in this period when the Jerusalem and, and the temple are being raised, the two dominant kings, two are removed and the monarchy, David's line collapses and literally it ceases to exist which is problematic theologically for the promise of the covenant with God. So we have that as the, the background, and then we have in 538 B.C. approximately, a point in which our book Ezra, the companion to Nehemiah, or, or, uh, is written, um, which is heralding the major cataclysmic change in the world that is seen in the Jewish community in exile because the whole world is turned upside down when Cyrus the Persian and the Persian Empire replaces Babylon as a world power. That the Persian Empire comes in, takes over, and establishes for about 200 years their own dominance in world geopolitical reality. Um, and you see in some of the history work, in, in, especially in the Bible, 
that at various times, and this is what we see in the minor prophets that we alluded to, at times Persia is incredibly strong, and at other times it's not as strong. And when it's not as strong, other little serfdoms compete for power. But at its height, Persia has control of the world from Egypt to as far as India. Um, and so it's a major world power into which Ezra and Nehemiah, our books, come into their own fruition. Um, reminding you then that there were three uh, deportations for the exile in 600 and, and, and about 10, 15 years later, 597, and then the final one, 586, in which Judah and Jerusalem were taken in exile. And just like that, there's also historically um, remind, remembered three major returns to Judah from the exile. One is 50 years later, about 538. Another one in 458. And then a final one in 444 that we have written about in Nehemiah. Uh, and, and each one of these took place as a result of the Babylonian, the Syrian uh, Empire falling as the Medes and the Persians began to take over and become their own world power. Um, and as they began to conquer more of the Babylonian um, lands, they were more free in their understanding of restoring or letting folks go back uh, who had been conquered under Babylon. Um, and so much so, and we see this in Nehemiah, so generous or enlightened is their understanding, the Medes and the Persians, that they not only encourage, but they subsidize the rebuilding of local temples and, and, and the local customs and worship practices in order to kind of bring about a better generalized peace and the ongoing power of the uh, Persian Empire. So that brings us then to 538, which is the, the first of these returns of Jews in exile back to Jerusalem from what was Babylon, now taken over by the Persians. The first decree takes place to let Jews return and with funds to go and rebuild the temple with help from the royal treasury. That's contained in the book Ezra. And it's interesting to note that uh, I think it's the British Museum, and I've forgotten which. Um, I remember in seminary talking about they have a clay tablet uh, or cylinder that's, that's known as the Cyrus Cylinder uh, that uh, uh, talks about that policy of the uh, Persian government to take monies and let them go and restore the Jewish temple. Um, and then it is the rebuilding of that temple and rebuilding of the wall that we have that takes place in the book of Nehemiah. The history, for me, allows us to see what's going on and why it's going on. Why is all of a sudden, is there a priest coming back in, after exile? What ended in exile and, and so forth that, that, that undergirds our, our work, our, look, our reading of the book of Nehemiah? So that's kind of why I've done it very quickly. I've done that before in, in some of the other Old Testament lectures or studies that I provided. But 
I also want to provide kind of a basic outline uh, that is going to be form and is forming our preaching outline for the next four weeks in June as well. And in that is our Bible study. We're not going to follow that preaching outline to the T, but it still helps to, to understand where is it going, what's it going. So that um, the book of Nehemiah for me is organized in three main sections. And the first chapters, uh, one through seven, are this journal or these memoirs, if you will, of this politician Nehemiah, who's known, becomes the governor, who becomes the rebuilder, the architect, in, in a literal and figurative way, of Jerusalem. And then in the second third of the book, chapters uh, 8 through 11, we get the completion of that work and the renewal, the covenantal renewal of God's people, which are really now understood as a remnant. They've been purified. They've been purged. They have suffered the consequences of their sin, which has led them into uh, exile that we've talked about in the Minor Prophets study and how that has come about. Um, they have come back and they like the covenantal, covenantal ceremony of adoption under Moses happens again under Ezra, but it's in the book of Nehemiah. The priest leads it, but it's recorded in our book of Nehemiah, of that ceremony, and, and, and we're going to talk about that. And, and then finally in the chapters towards the end, 11 through 13, are again some of Nehemiah's memoirs, some of his thinking of, of moving forward, and how will they continue to be God's people then, moving historically forward. Jumping now into the, the minor prophets, many of them are taking that understanding and they are rem reminded that uh, <coughs> our last three, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, are specifically talking about the rebuilding of the temple and the day of the Lord and what's coming. And, and the earlier prophets as well, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, and Amos, are all pretty much referencing around this rebuilding, this covenant, this new relationship of, of orientation of people of God with God. So it's kind of fun for me. We're doing it backwards, but it's still fun for me for us to experience that and see that and, and, and read what that is that was informing them. And so for me, there's also in Nehemiah two verses that you're going to see um, probably we talk a lot about you know, within the worship, within the preaching, that are the focus for the book of Nehemiah. The first one, interestingly enough, is pretty far into it. It's well known as the sixth um, uh, chapter. And, and I'm going to read this because I'm doing a little bit different than I normally do, but it's it's chapter 6, verse 15. And, and this is at the completion of the temple. And, he, and Nehemiah writes, So the wall was completed on the 25th, of the month of Elul in 52 days. That's a, a one, it, the location is very specific because it took place, but it's also impressive of how fast it took place. And it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And, and what is beautifully being pictured and what's going to be lifted up is God's 
presence, inviting and encouraging and completing the work. Um, and then later in, in Ezra uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, after all that completion, now is, is, this is the beginning of the covenantal restoration of the community responding to gathered for worship and pledging um, uh, is, is a, a very well-known verses. And here Nehemiah writes, And all the people gathered as one at the square, which is the front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe, the priest, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. This is that law which he has saved and brought from Babylon. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding. And on the first day of the seventh month and read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. And all the details are being crystallized there and forever remembered. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand and and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra stood on a wooden podium which had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood. And then a listing of all these names. And Ezra opens up the book in the sight of the people. He was standing above the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord. And all the people said, Amen and Amen. And while lifting up their hands, they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces and so on and so forth. And then the verse eight concludes. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And captured up in that is this vis visual reminder of the power of worship, the purpose of worship, and also the great grief and sadness that some of the folks who gathered there do not understand Hebrew. And they had it has to be translated for them because they have grown up in exile and speak and read, probably don't read, but speak another language. And the referencing is that they are claiming God and will be their God and they will be God's. And of course, we know the rest of the story. This is early on in their history. We had the minor prophets and the other prophets. That the reality is, yes, they feel good for a short time. And they fail to continue to be God's covenanted people. And the story that is continued on at the end of the minor prophets is, so what's going to happen next? And that's where we pick up in the New Testament with God finally bringing a solution, which is Jesus Christ. To bring about that reparation and that ultimate restoration, the uh, creating in us as a remaking us as the temple, the worship, the spiritual place for God. But I'm jumping way ahead, and in part of our work in this uh, preaching series will be to celebrate the covenantal relationship. Will be to celebrate the life relationship God invites with God's people. So, kind of one final thought, and today I'm not going to have any questions other than to invite you to go ahead and read a little bit of Nehemiah, uh, to read maybe chapters 1, 2, and 3 to get a sense of what is going on, and then invite you to gather with us next Sunday, as we have a, and I'm looking over here, they're not here, but we're going to film it in here, uh, 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 not a round table even, but just a conversation about Nehemiah 
and what it means for us in our faith and what it invites us into life with God. But a final thought that um, um, is for me reflective of the, the experience that I hope will come about for us is the involvement of God with God's people and the invitation to be remade, have our identities remade. And what takes place? How does that take place? Um, uh, of course, I have some thoughts that will come out in our study, but how do we get remade? How does our identity become woven into and with God and God's to be God's people? Nehemiah is lifting up as a way for us to interpret that, to understand that, to grapple with that, to wrestle with that, but also to find goodness and fruitfulness and value by who we are. And with that, I'm going to invite you to join us again next week, and I'll close with prayer. Praise you, O oh God. Oh, man, your word just excites me, but more I'm excited by how you are working with us who will be leading in worship. So may your spirit continue your work for us, but also those who will gather with us and read and, and reflect upon who we are and who you are in us. Praying all this through your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. That's it for today. See you next Sunday.